all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Well, this program depends on questions from you to sort of determine our topics. And every once in a while, we have a show that's just about the questions that you call in and with not much themes uh, to talk about. So we'd love to give you a chance to uh, to ask those questions. Maybe we haven't touched on in the past. Maybe it's not specific enough for what's going on. An illness that can't be explained very well in your child or your family, or maybe it's a question about a medication that you've been prescribed, you can call us today at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org, and we will try to answer those questions to the best of our abilities here this morning. Well, uh, you know, it's a sort of a sad day. I'll tell you, I've, I've been sort of down in the dumps, particularly about this, uh, this shooting in Florida and, uh, you know, uh, any kind of heinous crime like that, um, no matter who it's perpetrated against, is just unbelievable. Uh, it's shocking. And uh, the sad thing is uh, maybe it's a little less shocking because we have so many of them uh, that happen. And uh, it they are complex to deal with. Certainly they're emotionally charged issues. But when you start talking about kids, uh, uh, you know, that are just shot down in a place that should be safe, um, that uh, that certainly is just uh, unbelievable. It's uh, it's hard to grasp. And um, it certainly uh, certainly is something that uh, as a parent that, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I just didn't think that that was a big issue. And it's amazing to me, like how many different school districts now, including this school district, um, have drills uh, around this very issue in the same way that we used to have or still have drills uh, around tornadoes or other, um, you know, other natural disasters. So just horrendous um you know, we we have to deal with these things as a as a nation um, uh, now, just because of the level. You heard the the president's uh, speech uh, earlier this hour, and uh, certainly I would encourage everyone and uh, to get involved in any way that they can uh, to uh, study the issue. If you're an expert in certain areas, particularly. Uh, you know, in safety, mental health issues, anything like that, or you don't have to be. Just get involved and talk to your uh, representatives, legislators to, you know, to speak into the issue because we certainly all need to come together, uh, no matter how strongly uh, our opinions are on either side of any issue. Uh, I think nobody uh, would uh, would say that they don't want to protect uh, protect children, particularly in schools. So. Um, you know, get involved in what you're doing. Certainly offer offer up those prayers, but get involved too. Um, so today's open topic day, any kind of topic that you want to call in, maybe there's some things that are bothering your child that you want to talk about. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. I do want to give you a flu update. Um, so flu is rampant. We really haven't seen a, a flu strain or a flu year like this since the 2009 uh, um, uh, season was about the last time. And and unfortunately, a lot of kids have been affected by this. Um, you know, usually uh, the very young, the very old, those who have compromised immune systems are the ones that are hardest hit by the flu. But particularly this year, uh, children have sort of taken a hit. Uh, by this particular flu strain. And unfortunately, we've had up to 63 deaths now uh, as of the latest data from the CDC, 10 in the last reportable week. 
Uh, that's uh, way too much. Um, one of the things to help prevent that, you know, the, the flu vaccine hasn't been as effective this year, but it is somewhat effective. Uh, some protection is better than no protection at all. Um, with, with the flu vaccine, it is not too late in February. We've just seen probably the peak, but we're still going to have some. If you look at past flu seasons and sort of the way that things are have panned out in the past, we certainly have a lot uh, more flu um, um, before us, uh, so uh, in front of us, so you you want to go ahead and do that if you haven't, and then you know recognize the signs of flu. Uh, flu is a potentially treatable illness, um, particularly you know in in those that are most uh, hard hit that don't have a um, a fully functioning immune system or maybe an immune system that's not developed yet uh, if they're younger. Uh, watch out for flu-like illnesses. Uh, high fever, cough, you know, uh, unfortunately there's a lot of overlap with that, but um, you need to be tested appropriately uh, before you're put on medication. Uh, medication can help in, in some instances, but really just early diagnosis is probably the best thing uh, for good supportive care. It, warning signs that we tell parents with any kind of illness with their child, if they have, uh, you know, everybody sort of focuses on fever, but beyond that, uh, if they have difficulty breathing, uh, particularly if it's interfering with in a younger infant eating, uh, if they're not able uh, to, you know, to if they're able to crawl around, if they're not doing that, if they're listless, if they're not responding to you in a way that they have previously done, those are all warning signs to have them evaluate, evaluated pretty quick and. Unfortunately, a lot of, um, you know, seemingly normal immune system uh, people have, have been affected by this this year just because it's just a nasty strain, and you can't really predict it very well year to year. we got some great experts trying to do that, but uh, even then, we don't, we don't always get it right, and sometimes we get it right, and the, the virus is just nasty. Uh, and causes a lot of problems. Uh, seen a lot of flu B. There's two big types of uh, strains of flu. Flu A is sort of a classic one, but uh, flu B is out there too. Got a lot of GI side effects, a lot of muscular cramps, and um, uh, sometimes to the point where younger children haven't been able to walk uh, just because of the of the weakness and cramps that they have, and uh, some of the uh, the muscle. Um, Involvement. So just uh, keep an eye out there for, for flu-like symptoms. Uh, best thing, too, that you can do is avoid people who are sick. I had a pediatrician uh, years ago that used to tell my mom that all the time, just avoid sick people. Um, that's a good thing to, uh, to keep in mind. Of course, you don't always know when they're sick or they're harboring that virus. And then touch is a big one, although we know flu can be spread through droplets in the air that are, uh, you know, when somebody coughs or sneezes. Uh, but they're also on surfaces. So anything that we would touch uh, with our hands, uh, you can come into contact with that. And then if you put your hand in your mouth, which all kids do and some adults, uh, then uh, you certainly can be exposed to that. I do want to remind everybody, too, that February is American Heart Month. We don't want to leave kids out of that. I hadn't really talked about that yet in the month. And, you know, heart disease is the leading cause of death in men and women in the United States. So uh, about one in four deaths are, um, are from uh, heart disease. That's a lot of people in their lifetime. Um, and there's lots of things that you can prevent uh, most of the risk factors are preventable. So the main ones are smoking, uh, increased blood pressure, diabetes, increased cholesterol, decreased physical activity, uh, what we eat, the types of foods we eat, which can lead to obesity, and then some things we can't uh, change, like your family history. So if you have a strong family history of of individuals who have heart disease or have been affected by it, then certainly that puts you at risk. So a lot of those risk factors are things that we know are uh, things that develop very early on uh, in the first decade of life or two. In fact, there was uh, one major study that looked at, um, looked at kids and looked at some of the evidence of plaque or atherosclerosis. That's that nasty cholesterol-laden things that sort of clog up our blood vessels. And in this study, uh, 7% of 10 to 15-year-olds, that's 10 to 15-year-olds, so early adolescents, 7% of them had early evidence of those plaques in their blood vessels, in their arteries. And then that basically doubled. So 14% of 15 to 20-year-olds already had evidence of that. So we know that it starts to occur early, uh, 
in life, and it's a cumulative effect. We also know that you can reverse that by changing some of those things. Uh, physical activity and exercise, uh, physical activity and diet uh, have a lot to play into that. So if you change those things early, we know that that's one of the best ways to protect, even if you have a strong family history. The other uh, component of that is screening. So the American Academy of Pediatrics does recommend screening in high-risk individuals, high-risk um, uh, teenagers and children, particularly if they have a family history of, of heart attack or stroke or elevated cholesterol uh, in a first or second degree relative. And so your doctor, you may be, you know, you may have heard them say, hey, we're going to check cholesterol today on a routine visit. And you might think, well, that's crazy. My child's 10. But uh, that's the reason why is because if we identify those things early and change them first in what we do and what we eat and exercise. And then secondly, uh, you know, there are some cases where medications uh, have uh, the, the best benefit, particularly those families that have congenital abnormalities and how they process cholesterol. And they may have extremely high levels of cholesterol that a medication uh, has to be used. So keep that in mind. Uh, make things, uh, you know, changing your lifestyle is probably one of the hardest things that we uh, have in, in place in Mississippi. Uh, one of the, the biggest problems we have is, is changing what we do. Uh, those are, are have social overlays and how we interact with other people. Um, you know, we ask uh, if I ask a family to change what they eat, I've insulted their family a lot of times because they've been eating that way for so long. It's become a part of who they are. Uh, but you can make small changes. And certainly starting small has the best evidence of uh, of making changes over time, so don't uh, don't think that you can just change everything overnight. You want to uh, give that a chance to uh, so, to sort of lock in. So, um, but make some small changes. The American Heart Association, if you go to their website or the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, they both have some links. If you just say heart health or something that relates to heart health, they've got some great things in there um, that relate to you and your family that you can implement, that you can change, you can make it fun. Physical activity doesn't have to be going to the gym. It doesn't have to be joining a uh, sports team at school. It can be just getting out there with others in your family and maybe your friends and and getting more active. Uh, certainly, we we have a lot of challenges uh, in the South with that. So don't th- don't forget about that. Good ways that you can um, you can improve the health of your children and your family uh, on a day to day basis by making some small changes uh, that have to do with their uh, with their diet and physical activity. So just uh, keep that in mind as we uh, as we talk about um, American Heart Month um, in February. All right, we got one caller right now. Let's go to Teresa in Jackson. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning. Thanks for calling. <laughs> I just had a question. Just with the recent school shootings and just how to address it with adolescents, especially with the topic of social media and everything, it seems like every day you hear a new um, situation like this. And then having multiple adolescents ask questions about it and all this and how we should go about kind of addressing it with them. Oh, that's a great point. Uh, so, you know, we in that, that is huge. And how do you how do you break that news? How do you introduce that news to your kids and knowing that kids are going to be different uh, at different ages? Different individuals in the family are going to react in a different way. Uh, you mentioned teens. Uh, we'll talk mm-hmm. about them first. So one of the best things that you can do is, uh, you know, it's much better if they hear about bad news from uh, from you as a parent or a guardian uh, and not, uh, you know, on TV or media. Uh, if you think that they're not going to hear it or see it, guess what? They are. I mean, they're going to get that. It's out there. It's readily available. Their friends are going to be talking about things like this. So the earlier you can talk about them uh, to to your kids, the better uh, they're going to be. The first thing is just to start off with questions. So you can just ask them, particularly teens, hey, what do you know about what happened? Uh, and let them tell you. And they may have some some correct information. They may have some misinformation, but just allow them to, you know, tell what they know already. And then you can follow up with other questions like, well, you know, how does that make you feel about about those things? 
getting them in, in teens involved from an emotional standpoint is important because a lot of times, uh, even though they're very emotional creatures, uh, they may do, you know, a healthy way of getting those emotions out and dealing with those emotions is discussing them uh, and not, uh, you know, acting out on them. Um, you want to be straightforward with your dialogue. You want to be very direct uh, if they don't know what's happened. Uh, and you want to correct, again, those information that they may have that's, uh, you know, a little misleading. Uh, avoid graphic details. You don't have to tell all the gory details uh, of what, um, you know, of, of a disaster. Uh, but you don't want to you don't want to gloss over it either. I mean, if there are deaths involved, if there are people that have been hurt uh, in in some ways, you can certainly address that. But you don't want to go into gory details about all that. Uh, I will say something about, you know, younger kids, uh, if they're less than four, the main things they need to hear is that you are there for them, that you are comfort for them, because they have emotions, too. Just because they're four or, or younger uh, doesn't mean they don't feel it, but they do have a harder time processing it, whereas an, a, you know, an adolescent might act out, a four-year-old might do that, too. Um, and it's okay. Uh, you need to communicate to your child, it's okay to be bothered by things like this, and you may want to tell how you feel about it. Um, but um, then there are some signs to look for if they're being bothered. Um, generally, um, you know, they're not going to they may not talk about it uh, overtly, even if you if you address it directly with them. But sleep is one thing that can be involved if they're having some sleep problems, physical complaints. They may suddenly have all kinds of different complaints, uh, muscle complaints, uh, joint complaints that they're hurting. And these might be uh, sort of the way that they're dealing with that behavioral changes and then emotional problems, too. But I would say be direct with them, be honest with them, uh, ask Ask questions first to allow them a chance to talk. Sometimes all a teen wants is you to ask them, hey, tell me how you feel about this, and then just to listen. Um, but I would do that. It takes a lot of courage to do that in some you know, some ways, but um, much better than getting it from a text or a, a news feed on a phone or on the TV or wherever they're listening to. So thanks, Teresa, and uh, good luck with that. I engage with your kids. We always want to you know, advocate for doing that with your family. Uh, as much as you can. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks for calling. All right. Let's uh, let's go to Jeannie in uh, Bay Springs. Good morning, Jeannie. Good morning. Uh, we love your show. My husband and I listen all the time. Um, I just recently got a flu shot, and um, I think it was a combo food flu shot, but I'm not sure. But anyway, when I went to church, I told my friends, they said, oh, my gosh, you're going to have mercury poisoning. And uh, you get four of those in a row, four years in a row, and you get Alzheimer's or something like that. So I'm just checking. Yeah, I, know, yeah. I, I read on the Internet that you can get one that does not contain mercury if you ask for it, and I didn't even know that. Yep. There is a, so there's two big types. There's a preservative and then a preservative-free. Now, mercury really hasn't uh, – it's not the preservative that they use, so there's yeah. really not a, a, you know, a significant amount of mercury in, in those vaccines or, or really any vaccine anymore. That was taken out. Uh, years ago, however, if you if you want to have one that's preservative free, they do have that. Um, now you're you know you have to sort of ask around. Some places may may carry that, and some don't. Right. Uh, but there are different ways to to uh, to make that. And the flu vaccine, you know, we used to have two. Uh, we had a live vaccine that was a, it was a flu. It just had been damaged to the point where it, it wouldn't hurt you. Some people did get a little bit you know more of the symptoms of the flu when they got it. Um, and they would, you know, those are the ones that would say, hey, I got the flu from the flu shot. Well, it was really your body's immune system reacting in a similar way as it would if you actually got the flu. That live vaccine really is not available right now. The last time we had it was a couple of years ago. It was a nasal vaccine, a nasal spray, which was great because you didn't have to get a shot. Um, however, it, we found it just really wasn't that effective. Um, so it's it's not been recommended. The the cur- all the current shots now are killed vaccines. It's it's a it's not even a live virus. So now you may still have fever, redness at the site. You may have some muscle aches or pains. And again, that's your body's immune system doing what it's uh, you know what it's designed to do, which is to rev up and try to recognize this as something that's foreign. 
And you're really using the body's own immune system to sort of train it that, hey, this is flu. The next time you see it, fight it. Um, Back to the mercury thing. There's yeah. Nothing in the merc. There's not enough in that shot to harm you in any way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I, and, you know, I'll be honest with you. Every vaccine, if you look at the side effect profile, uh, because of the reporting structure, uh, there, you know, there's certainly anybody could have an adverse reaction in the same way that you could have it to any kind of medication or herbal su- supplement for that that matter. Um, but no, the, as far as the is is something that is directly harmful, uh, it, it, there shouldn't be anything in there. You do have the choice of preservative free versus versus not preservative free. Uh, the the caveat with that is the preservative free. Uh, they really have to be a little bit more careful with how they store that vaccine, and really, right. you should be doing that, the, you know, the same way regardless. Um, but yeah, it's they do make one that doesn't have all that in it. But the mercury in these shots is not harmful. Yeah, there's not any mercury in any vaccine that's made. Really, that was taken out decades ago. So there were some concerns with it from the public. They studied it, didn't really find much of evidence of it, but went ahead and took it out anyway. Not even any mercury in the shot. Right. You have you have more. You get more if you ate tuna once a month. Wow. You would get more mercury in that than you would in any vaccine. Wow. Um, and actually, that's a that's a recommendation for pregnant women that they don't eat too much of that. So sort right. of your you, you just because of how it's concentrated in some fish. So so I'd recommend if you if you want to get the flu vaccine and you have concerns about preservatives, just get the preservative free. Exactly. You have answered my question. Thank uh, you so much. Sure. Thanks for calling, Jeannie. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. Hey, and we like questions. Now, look, at the end of the day, I might not la- – you know, I, I might be tired – because I'm a human being, uh, as as your physician, I get tired too. Believe it or not, we don't have special things, doctors that we take to besides caffeine uh, to keep us going. But uh, you know, we like questions, and uh, if you if you're not getting your questions answered from your physician. I would say, you know, maybe you need to, to go hunting for a different physician because that's that's what we're here for, to, to try to answer those questions. All right, let's go to uh, Krista in Jackson. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Dr. Stewart. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Thanks for calling. So I have a little boy. He just turned one. He just moved from the infant classroom to the toddler classroom at our daycare. Graduation. <laughs> yes. It's been a big week. But I've noticed that he has started pushing and hitting the little kids more than what I've ever seen at home. And I was just wondering, is there any way that we can be, you know, trying to curve this behavior or anything we're doing at home that's making him um, maybe show some of this behavior at daycare? Sure. Uh, That's a common question. Um, So, uh, you know, toddlers... Uh, particularly less than two, again, they have emotions. They just don't know how to deal with those emotions very well. And when they have different situations that they're in, they may have some anxiety. They may have, particularly if they're new, uh, they may, you know, have all kinds of different emotions and they can't, they can't verbalize it to you, even though a lot of parents will try that route. Hey, honey, talk to me. Tell me what's going on. A two-year-old or a one-year-old, they can't do that. They can't reason through. Their brains just aren't developed enough, even if they're ahead of their age group. They don't have the vocabulary for it. So the way that they you know, get deal with those emotions uh, is they act out, and it can be all kinds of different ways. So it can be... Uh, it can be pushing or hitting. Uh, now, the, the behavior uh, is just like any other negative behavior. So the key would be right when they're doing it, how is it being dealt with? So if you're not seeing it at home and they're seeing it at the daycare, it's really going to be important that the daycare sort of has some guidance on how to do that, or they have they probably have a policy about that. Okay. Uh, usually withdrawal because... Um, uh, a lot of negative behaviors in this age range, they want more attention or they need something. They, they just, again, they don't verbalize that. It may seem strange that they're hitting or being, you know, having aggressive behavior that they would want attention, but they, they do. Again, they just can't reason that out in their brains. So 
uh, a lot of daycares, you know, will separate them from the situation. And most of the time that takes care of it. There's not really anything just because of, you know, they have such short attention spans. If you if you do things at home to set them up for that, there's not really anything you can do to train them besides making sure that they feel loved, uh, you know, and, and doing all the normal things that you would do for, for a kid that age. Um, the separation when you drop them off at daycare, uh, you know, give them a give them a hug, knowing uh, that they're gonna, you know, just telling them even if they don't understand at this point, you know, hey, I'll, mommy and daddy will be back later in the day uh, to pick you up, have a good day, and then break. Uh, you know, make it make it quick, make it simple, and uh, and consistency with that too. Uh, the other thing to maybe talk to the daycare is how consistent are they going to be, you know, are they being with, uh, with, you know, withdrawing them from that situation. But that's probably the most effective thing is saying a stern no, we don't do that. Withdrawing them from the situation, they don't get a reward by playing by themselves or with, you know, maybe there, there was an argument over something. But these are normal behaviors, and it doesn't mean your child's going to end up in prison. Uh, it just means that they're having a hard time um, with their emotions, and that's pretty common for this age. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for answering my question. Sure. Thanks for calling. All right, Jay, how are we doing? Do we Can we move through? All right. Let's go to uh, Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I, I wanted to ask you a question. I, I saw a movie on Turner Classic Movies recently about, it's called The Southerners, and these people had a son who was suffering from pellagra. And I haven't heard the word pellagra or rickets since I was in nursing school like 100 years ago. Yep. And uh, I've just wondered, since I've heard people who have children who won't eat anything except McDonald's chicken nuggets and, and, and uh, soda pop. Have you ever come across any cases of pellagra or rickets here in modern times? Uh, it's rare, but like you said, it's mainly because of uh, dietary you know, uh, um, deficiencies. Uh, you can see it. So, uh, you know, McDonald's men don't want to pick on McDonald's, but fast food menus uh, don't really have a lot of the micronutrients or even macronutrients that they need. So they're they're full of carbohydrates, full of fat, uh, a lot of empty calories, Some we sometimes call them. What that means is they don't have all the other vitamins in there like vitamin D, the B vitamins, vitamin A, uh, things that are very important, particularly to a growing child. So to answer your question, yes, unfortunately, we're starting to see some of these. And, you know, it used to, the picture of these kids were they were emaciated. They may be, you know, you could see people from uh, vitamin deficiencies. You saw these pictures of these kids uh, from third world countries. And you think, well, how could this child who is uh, either a healthy weight or maybe even overweight, how can they have a vitamin deficiency? And it's because they're getting calories, but they're not getting those nutrient, those, those, you know, uh, nutrients that they need. Um, uh, vitamin D is important for growth of bones, and you can have a lot of different deficiencies there. It does have some other um, um, metabolic um, um, things that it does. But uh, the best thing is just, uh, you know, just uh, going ahead and making sure that they're eating something. I never have seen a child. A child will not starve to death. If, you know, what they're doing is they're pushing you to to choose that one food. Of course they like it. It tastes great. But, uh, you know, if you continue to offer them healthier alternatives, they will they will get it. I mean, it's a learned behavior, and starting early is, is much better than waiting until they're a teenager, and then it becomes much harder to do. Uh, vitamins are fine to take, uh, particularly just a, a once-a-day vitamin that's appropriate for their age. I think that's a good way to sort of shore up some of those deficiencies. Vitamin D is hard, though, in there. You can get what you need. Uh, you know, just for, for normal stuff. If they've reached that point where they do have problems, then you have to give much larger amounts of it to uh, get those stores built back up. There are some things like calcium that you really can't give in just a small vitamin that they have to have that in their diet. So, yeah, Sue, we do. We unfortunately, we see that. All right. Thank you for calling, Sue. Let's go to Colleen in Biloxi. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I actually just had a comment about the, the thimerosal, um, the mercury and vaccine. Um, so they took the thimerosal out in 2001 right. for general vaccines, like that what we would give our kids. Um, but they didn't take it out of the flu vaccine. However, they don't, like if you get a, a one-dose vial, it does not contain the mercury, the thimerosal. But if your clinic is using the multi-dose vials to save a little money, um, they do still use it for antimicrobial reasons, you know, 
Um, so it's just one of those things like you just ask, when you go to the clinic, you just ask, do you use a multi-dose you know, multi vial or are they all single-use vial? Um, yeah, they, you're exactly right. They do have, there are some differences there. Now, I would say, you know, the mercury that causes mercury poisoning and thiamarosol is different. So it is different. But you, you're right. You're exactly right. If they, it is much more costly for that clinic. And clinics, usually, they do not make any money on vaccines. It's really just yeah. a, you, you break yeah. even on it. So, uh, or or you, you a lot of times, if depending on how many kids you're seeing, you just, you actually just sort of suck it up and do the right thing. But uh, there, um, you know, that's, that's true. So you do want to ask about that. Some clinics have gone to those individual vaccines where they're, you know, one dose, one vial, like you said, and others, you know, just to save a little bit of money, they order it in bulk. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you like, can... I think it's ethyl mercury. I'm not entirely sure what the... But it, thimerosal definitely does contain mercury, which is, you know, the main reason they, they went ahead and pulled it out in right. 2001, just because parents were freaking out right. so and, much. And there are those, but there are those that are preservative-free uh, flu vaccines, which is a little bit different in how they prepare them. But you can ask. The bottom line is ask... Uh, ask your physician, ask wherever you get your vaccines from and say, uh, you know, hey, how, which ones you got? Uh, do you have the individual vial? Do you have the one where you're just pulling it out of a big vial? And certainly you can you can make a choice uh, depending on that. So excellent information. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have a question uh, that somebody has given us about how to identify character traits in minors who commit horrific acts such as the one yesterday and on a lighter note can swallowing toothpaste be harmful how about if you've done it for 30 plus years so i wonder where that question came from uh so all that and and your calls that uh, you have we're going to come right back on southern remedy kids and teens on mpb think radio This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're answering all of your calls today. That's right. We're going to get to as many as we can before the end of the hour. and got some great ones already about anything today because it's an open topic day, which means anything you want to talk about, just call in with those questions, or you can email us. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So a couple of uh, calls earlier that we couldn't quite get on the air, they had to leave. Uh, the first one was, you know, how, how much uh, have you dealt with minors that become disturbed like the one that caused the latest school shooting? How early can you really see signs of this type of behavior, and what do you look for? Um, yeah, that is a hard question, particularly if you're talking about teens. You know, there are three general if you try to classify things there's three general stages of adolescent uh, development so there's an early middle and late and you may have heard me refer to to some uh, Harry Potter movies because JK Rowling is a great uh, developmental uh, uh, pediatrician as far as the way she writes she understands those different things uh, when you deviate a- away from those normal behaviors though that's when you start to get concerned and it can be tough you know it's easy on a Monday morning after something horrendous that's uh, happened the day before, the night before, 
uh, to look back and to see those things. Of course, you want to be you want to uh, be able to catch those things. And we oftentimes we focus on uh, totally as we should on uh, the the victims of a situation like that. But really, if we want to impact that, particularly in this particular situation, uh, seeing those warning signs of the person and getting them help. In this particular case, as far as is what uh, I've seen and, and read so far is that this particular individual did have some psychiatric problems in, in what's being reported and was actually getting help for that until his uh, apparently his mother or his adopted mother passed away uh, in November and then uh, missed some appointments there. Um, when you when you have behaviors that are outside the norm, uh, even if they're if they're mild, you know, as a parent, you want to try to uh, you want to try to address those as much as you can. Uh, so uh, sleep, sometimes they can be very subtle. So if there are sleep uh, disturbances, if there are behavioral disturbances, if there's a pattern of those, you want to delve further. Sometimes it can be something that the child is going through. Sometimes there may be underlying psychi- psychiatric conditions or disorders that need to be treated. And we have so many wonderful ways to do that now if they get appropriate treatment. Now, I'll be honest with you. A lot of times we don't have the resources for that. Certainly, uh, there are some states, we, we being one of them, that do have some, some big holes to fill, uh, you know, in, uh, particularly in mental health and uh, we really uh, are very challenged. Uh, you know, if I if I have a child in in clinic uh, to try to get them, you know, the appropriate care, sometimes that's very challenging to do, particularly if they're a teenager. But yeah, you can do that. Now, um, you know, how early? Well, it just really depends, and it depends on the behavior. If they're aggressive behaviors. Uh, particularly the more egregious they are, I would say earlier is better in dealing with those. Uh, you can bring those to the attention of your pediatrician or primary care provider. Uh, if they think that there's a, a problem, then they may want to bring in uh, some other experts, either uh, pediatric uh, psychiatry, a psychologist can sometimes help uh, to, uh, to deal with those things for both diagnosis and treatment. Um, there's such a stigma with this. Uh, nobody wants to label a child with, uh, with any kind of problems. On, on the other hand, the earlier you can get, uh, good therapy, good diagnosis, uh, that's accurate and consistent, uh, and treatment, then the, the better that this individual is going to be. I mean, you just have to think, okay, what if, what did we miss? And I'm sure everybody in that community in Florida, whether they're a teacher, uh, a parent, uh, probably this, this individual's former uh, medical personnel and staff are beating themselves up psychologically and thinking, what could we have done? What if we had done something differently? Um, so I would bring that to the attention. Again, no, no labeling here, but just that there, if there are certain behaviors that are outside the norm, particularly if they're harmful to other individuals, then you want to do that early. Uh, you want to um, bring those to the attention of the parent, of the school system, uh, and then to um, you know to go from there with somebody who's an expert at at, um, at diagnosing those. So, excellent question. Uh, you know, we're all unfortunately, and uh, there's not a whole lot of social constructs these days. Uh, there's been a lot of erosions of those. Um, uh, you know, if if a child's isolated from other individuals, both friends and then even from family, that puts them at risk for. Uh, some of these uh, horrendous things to to happen. Not everybody's going to, thankfully, is going to go that route, but certainly uh, you want to get them help earlier. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's open line day, which means you can call in with any kind of question that you have. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. You know, last week I had my good friend, Dr. Chris Henry, a pediatric orthodontist and a dentist. Um, uh, we talked a lot about uh, dental issues. We have an email here. It says, my wife worries about me swallowing my toothpaste as I brush my teeth. I use a very small amount of toothpaste, something on the order of about a, a one-half pea size. The diameter of the opening of the, of the tooth, getting technical here, of the toothpaste tube is about 0.3 inches. Uh, I use about a 0.2-inch length of toothpaste. I do not remember when I started this habit, but I've done it for the past uh, for, for more years than we have been married, which is 32. 
Uh, so I don't think I do not think that there is a problem. Is there a concern? We listen to you every day on MPB shows. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, that's a common question. Uh, you don't need a whole lot. And Dr. Henry, last week, you can go online and, and listen to the full episode. But he did make mention of that, that you don't need a big, long piece of, you know, a big uh, thread of, of toothpaste on that toothbrush. A pea size. We're talking about an English pea size is about all you need to do the trick. Um, now, with kids, it's hard to get them to spit, particularly if they're younger, uh, to spit that out. It's much better to do that. It does have some things in there, particularly the fluoride that can be an issue. Uh, generally speaking, it's, you know, if you ate, ate the whole half a tube, then, yeah, it could be a problem. We do see some both kids and sometimes adults uh, that do that, that do have some problems. And it's pretty caustic to the stomach, uh, to the lining of the stomach and other tissues in the body. And then you can absorb some things in there, too. But generally speaking, if you did that every time you brushed your teeth, you brush your teeth twice, three times a day, and you swallow that pea-sized uh, um, amount of toothpaste, I'm not aware of any studies that have shown any detrimental effects from that. Uh, certainly you could you should probably spit it out but if you swallow it it's not going to harm you that's that's not something even after 32 years uh and uh, you don't have to be as as meticulous as our as our call as our listener you know said you don't have to measure it out and I, I know that's probably just an estimate of what they were doing but um you know about pea size and um that's probably fine to do that but certainly Kids are the ones you really have to to watch on that because it tastes good, the, particularly the flavors now. I can remember back when toothpaste tasted ter- You know, there was like an Arm & Hammer uh, one years ago, maybe decades ago, that tasted terrible. At least that's my memory of it anyway. But today there's all kinds of different toothpaste in the way that they look. And they really do look like candy to kids. And that, they're designed that way so that they'll be excited about, uh, about using them, of course. But um, you have to be careful with them. All right, let's go to Lisa in Faraday, Louisiana. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. I just wanted to um, go to the caller who was asking about warning signs. Uh, animal cruelty in teenagers is a clear indication yeah. that they are prone to human violence. Right, you're Children right. Children doing you know, experiments with butterflies and things like that, not so much. But I do believe that the FBI profile on serial killers indicates that all the killers we've had in this country have had animal cruelty in their background. So that's yeah. kind of one of those signs you want to look for. Yeah, you know, uh, behaviors like that, it's uh, to individuals or animals that can't harm you back. Uh, you know, that's sort of how it starts. So that's disadvantaged people too. Bullying behavior sometimes can start like this. That's also yeah. why it's important to address those. But you're right. We Sometimes we leave out animal cruelty here. Uh, that certainly is a, a way that, that it really... The way I would look at it, if if I had a parent that brought a child in, say, 10, 11, 12, that, that was, say, doing something to the dog or the cat in the neighborhood, uh, you know, that's a warning sign to me. It's sort of like a red flag to, okay, what emotional issues is this child having? Are they having Absolutely. processing problems? Are they having problems with expressing themselves? Or are they, they being abused themselves? Exactly. That's where I was going. Well, you you read my mind. <laughs> so, yeah, are there other things in the family that they're just, it's not quite connecting there? Uh, and then how can you intervene in a way that uh, hopefully uh, lets them deal with those emo- emotions in a uh, productive way. But thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, animal cruelty is certainly one of those things we need to, to keep in mind, too. Okay. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Let's go to Shelly in Ridgeland. Good morning, Shelly. Oh, hold on just a second, Shelly. Having some technical difficulties here. All right. Are you there, Shelly? Oops. Did we lose you? We may have to come back to Shelly. All right, Shelly. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Thank you for calling. <laughs> okay, I don't know what happened. Sorry. Oh, no, it wasn't your fault. That's okay. Okay. I have a question about my um, niece. She is elementary age, and uh, we think that she may be suffering from depression, although I feel like you don't hear about depression in, you know, young six, seven, eight-year-old children very much, but she's um and very anxious. And I just wondered, um, you know, who do you talk to about that? Do you go to your pediatrician? Do you go to a mental health professional? Or are there even options, are there even medication options to use for depression in, in children? Um, and, and let me also say that there have not been any 
um, as far as we know, you know, traumatic events or life changes or anything that would um, kind of precipitate this this behavior. Yeah, that's an important issue, and uh, we got a, we've got a program that's uh, coming up uh, that we're trying to, to schedule uh, around that very issue of childhood depression. Uh, you brought up some good points about it. Uh, number one, it does happen. Uh, it tends to get overlooked. We tend to think that children uh, don't get depression. Historically, that's that was thought to not be a problem in children. Um, in in the lay public, uh, we know that's not true. We know that uh, that they certainly can get it, and it's not just adolescence. It can be in children um, at in the age that you mentioned. You know, in the uh, less than ten years of age, certainly they can get it too. So, really, any age you can see that. The younger the child, the the more diverse the symptoms, and sometimes they can be sort of cryptic. You don't really know. I uh, can't really recognize them as readily. Uh, that child may not be able to, just because of their developmental stages, they're not able to tell you, I don't you know, like doing the things that I normally like doing. A lot of those are observed behaviors. They may not uh, you know, have the, the classic sleep or weight issues that are sometimes symptoms of, of uh, depression. I would start off with your, your regular um, physician first. Now, there are some other medical problems that can contribute to depression, like thyroid disorders. So if your thyroid's not working right, it's sort of the the body's uh, metabolic uh, gland that helps to regulate how fast, how slow things work in the body. And if it's not, particularly if it's not working uh, uh, adequately, if, it, if things are sort of slowed down, if they have hypothyroidism, that may be one of the first things that shows up is depressive symptoms. Uh, so okay. so it, is, it is important to see a medical you know, medical doctor or medical provider that could uh, make sure that's not what what's going on, and then to uh, to refer them. Now, the, most pediatricians uh, sort of stray away from this uh, just because of the the complexity of it is a little bit more that they their experience with in training, particularly if they're a pre adolescent. And I would, you know, personally, I would agree with that. Unless there, there may be somebody out there that has some uh, a particular interest in this, that's a pediatrician. Uh, or family medicine physician uh, and has the experience. That's the key part of that uh, because there are some safety issues in how you deal with it. You can't just sort of slap that that kid on on a medication and and expect them to get better. so, uh, you know, the, then uh, the referral system, you know, really a good pediatric sci- uh, psychiatrist would probably be the person once they've, you know, if there's a high suspicion of that. Uh, there are criteria that a physician should be, um, should be uh, familiar with that to help diagnose depression, but, um, but it does happen. And, uh, you know, unfortunately it gets glossed over a little bit. They'll just say, well, I got a moody, moody kid, maybe it's just their age. Uh, maybe it's just schools got them down, uh, but if it's if you really look at it over time, and they don't have to have a big event like you said, they don't have to have something that's really big. Now sometimes you do see that, um, but you know even if they've got a stable family, they've got a stable routine in their life, they still can get depressed. And what we know now is it has more to do with the way that the brain architecture is is put together and every person has a little bit different architecture in their brain and when you get a neurochemical imbalance you can't dig yourself out of that you can't just say to your child or an adult hey just feel better um that's and once they get to clinical depression um then that's almost impossible for them to get out of uh, by themselves and uh, unfortunately, we see way too many uh, teen and, and even children uh, suicide attempts, and uh, some of them are unfortunately successful. So it's a serious deal that we have to, you know, have to serious diagnosis that we have to address. So thank you, Shelley. I hope that answered your question. Okay. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. This is uh, Open Line Day. And uh, one more thing that I got here, this is an email, and somebody's uh, sent in one about they have a friend who has a teenager that's just been diagnosed with lupus. And uh, the question was, what is lupus? It sounds like a, an adult disease, but I wasn't aware that children can have it. So lupus is a uh, chronic inflammatory disease. It's an autoimmune disease. The autoimmune diseases are where your body thinks, uh, thinks a part of your body, either a, an organ system or maybe it's uh, affecting multiple organs in the body, is foreign and tries to uh, sort of get rid of it. It's the immune system that sort of turns on itself. 
on the body. And it can affect, lupus affects different organs in the body. It can affect the skin. So sometimes they'll have characteristic rashes that go along with it or skin findings. Um, that's actually one of the names it, it got, uh, one of the ways it got its name, lupus, uh, because of a, a malar rash, which is a rash across the nose and cheeks, uh, particularly if you're exposed to sun in those areas. And it sort of looks like a wolf. So that's the Latin lupus uh, for wolf. Uh, it can affect the skin. It can affect joints. Uh, it can affect uh, the kidneys, and that's probably one of the more serious things. And some of you may know the uh, young actress and singer Selena Gomez uh, that was diagnosed with uh, with lupus and uh, just got a kidney transplant. I believe it was last year. I can't remember exactly when it was, um, but it can uh, lead to severe kidney damage in some in some cases. It can affect your lungs. Uh, can affect the heart, particularly the lining in the sac around the heart. And then it can affect your nervous system, too. So you can get lupus cerebritis, which is a serious condition, um, uh, complication of lupus where it affects the brain and the, and the nerves itself. So this affects, it's, it's relatively small, but still about five to 10,000 children in the U.S. have lupus. It does affect females more than males uh, by about eight to one. It is something that is is treatable. Uh, generally speaking, the the medications that they use are medications to help quiet down the immune system. So they are immunosuppressive uh, medications, and there's a whole host of them. They tend to start out with ones that are uh, sort of uh, quiet down the entire immune system, and then get more specific. And kids are different in in their presentation. Uh, as uh, a lot of autoimmune diseases are, uh, rheumatologic diseases can be. Uh, so they may not pre- uh, present with the same symptoms that, say, adults do. But it is something that's out there. And uh, certainly if you have a family history, that's a big uh, risk factor as well. So if one or more people in your family have lupus or other autoimmune diseases and you have some uh, sort of strange uh, symptoms, those are things you should bring to your uh, physician uh, so that they can diagnose them. These uh, lupus is it, it tends to be once it's diagnosed, it tends to be managed by a pediatric rheumatologist, um, and sometimes they'll have disease specific clinics. In other words, at regional hospitals, um, they'll have or uh, outpatient centers. They'll have um, they'll just treat lupus patients all in the same place so that they can have the best care for them. All right, that is about the. Uh, 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 we don't have uh, much time, actually one second uh, left in the program. I want to thank all our ca- callers for today. Uh, lots of good questions. And, uh, hey, we're always here for you at Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. You can call us with your questions. Don't forget about emailing us, too, when we're off the air. And uh, check us out online at mpbonline.org uh, for archive shows as well if you miss something. I want to thank Jay Watt, our producer, who is also double dutying as our call double duty dutying. Yeah, that's a word, isn't it? As our call screener today, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. You can it join us Thursday at eleven for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.